Even a Halloween skeleton can run afoul of a community's moral codes. This is The Focus Group. They're all business, except when they're not. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Welcome to The Focus Group. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host, Tim Bennett. Focusgroupradio.com is the website that you can go to and learn all about us and our partners. And you'll also learn about TFG Unbuttoned, our Tuesday audio podcast. Three stories uh, that we bring to you each week. Usually, um, they're very diverse. (laughs) I'll just put it to you that way. Usually. Usually very diverse. And of course, you'll learn about our partners there. And in in the case of the focus group, it would be Deep Discount who we'll be visiting with uh, later in the broadcast. So, Mr. Bennett, we are officially in November. Um, I saw this thing the other day. It just made me gasp. It was like, here's how many days to Thanksgiving. Here's how many days to Christmas. Here's how many days to New Year's. And I'm like, it's, it's digit. It's like 30, you know, it, it was like bothersome to me. <laughs> well, Halloween's over now a day, so it's full yeah. throttle. It's full press now. And I had somebody ask me about putting up the Christmas tree. Which I know during the pandemic, a lot of people did early, but I'm not, uh, I don't plan on to put the Christmas tree up. We went to Home Depot this past weekend to pick up just some minor stuff, like some antifreeze for uh, um, our outdoor, you know, the, the guest house. Right. We were shutting down the plumbing. The minute we walked in, we were assaulted by moving characters, reindeers, Santas, Christmas trees. There was Black Santa, there was White Santa. I like Black Santa better, even though the two of them sound identical. You know, ho, 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 welcome to our home. Let me sing you a song. What is it, a blow-up <laughs> thing, or what was, yeah, it was it? It was like a big mannequin, like a plastic mannequin. Right, did you get one? And... No. You should put them all on your porch. You should get them, put them all on. dollars You buy every one of them, the Ru- Rudolph. Put them on the porch. Yeah, put them on the porch. <laughs> put them on the roof, strap them to the roof. They'll be worth money someday, like those blow molds. If you... Somebody had shown uh, on one of these sites those... When we were growing up, the toy soldiers or, or the, the yeah, soldiers yeah. are those things that were about three feet tall mm-hmm. and Santa that you'd strap to the chimney. It was worth hundreds of dollars now. There was a woman. <laughs> I was up at this place in, uh, in Lancaster County where they do these, uh, where our friend Bruce has his antique place. And this woman has a Christmas shop. That's all she does is Christmas year round. She was all upset. She had a whole truckload of blow molds offered to her for $300 and she didn't take it. 300 bucks. 300 dollars she, she was packed with new like vintage stuff they were clearing out a warehouse from the 60s and she kicking herself she didn't get them because the blow molds are in demand she goes people are buying them the 50 year olds are buying them old christmas stuff sure yeah. which i think hey, i'm sure we have a blow mold somewhere i don't know non sequitur to, to the holidays um some listener feedback uh, one of our listeners brian who actually was one of our criterion winners um he got more than one film he had he sent an interesting note in about you know we've been talking now and then you and i talk about evs and about some of the issues that may pop up with them um in particular he mentioned that our concern or we've talked about in the past some of this issue of replacing batteries Mm -hmm. and he actually brought up a great point that many of the manufacturers have uh, long warranties on their batteries eight years or a hundred thousand miles is not an unusual warranty and um in most cases, the need to replace a battery is rare, and it usually is because of an accident. Um, so if you're, you know, and, and he's an EV driver, and I think he's expecting his third, so quite happy. And a, and a couple listeners also chimed in with how 
they were really pleased with the vehicles. And one of them said, you know, every time you go to sleep at night, the car gets a full tank. Because when you think about it, you, you're charging it up. So in the morning, right. you're, you're getting a full tank. So I guess it's a situational based thing, right? Well, if you have a lease, but it, it, it then goes back to eventually the battery will need to be replaced. At so some even, point in time. So even if it is a lease and you get rid of it after three years and you haven't put 100,000 miles on it, the, the next, next owner or the next person, are they going to want to invest $25,000 in a six-year-old car that's in otherwise great shape? You'd have to figure that. That's where you really have to figure it out because unlike areas in California where we don't rust, things don't rust. I mean, yeah. you know, in the Northeast, if you have a car that doesn't have rust after 10 years, you're pretty lucky or a rust spot or something. That so. was something you and I, the just cars in general like like obviously metal car cars made of metal like i i think what i learned early that california because of the environment and the uh, air quality um there are cars out there that from the 60s you know like they and they were pristine condition yeah. because they didn't have the elements destroying them <laughs> yeah so i understand the you know there's certainly is the ev there there's um there's lots of backlash now with ev not not, well, I don't know if it's consumer backlash, but all these companies that were charging ahead with we're going to be full electric yeah. are rethinking it. General Motors is rethinking it. Honda's no longer doing their association with General Motors to build the cars. People are scaling back because, A, they're not being sold in the quantities people thought they were being sold in. And uh, the technology probably got ahead or the excitement got ahead of the technology and the reality. So I don't know. We'll see. You know, it sort of skipped over the whole hybrid thing, right? I mean, when you look, when you now, when I look at hybrids, you know, the gas electric motor, they seem to make a lot more sense because the gas is the fuel you need when you can't right. charge, right? Right. And when you can charge, you obviously put the electric into the car. So I think it's going to be a, obviously it's an ongoing thing and it's going to be an interesting consumer choice for you and I a couple of years from now when it's time to like change out the cars. I wonder how the infrastructure will change by then. Well, where, where it's rare for, you know, there have been times where, particularly again in the Northeast, whether it's a major accident or there's weather, where you could be stuck for four hours on a road or yeah. six hours. And <laughs> yeah. if you don't have a full charge, what could happens? be a problem. Yeah, what happens? So, just, just take Bob and I coming back from the house a couple months ago. We were stuck yeah. on the um, Henry Hudson Parkway. They, they just closed the road because of spontaneous flooding and we were stuck four and a half hours sitting in the same spot in the car you can't tell me that everybody you know yeah i guess you'd shut the car off just conserve a lot of people did power, um, and then you saw people opening the doors right. doing the bathroom thing the heat <laughs> yeah yeah so no i understand people you know there certainly is a and and i i would guess electric cars are the future and i love electric cars oh, yeah. i just i just am not sure that i would want to invest a large chunk of money if I needed a battery. And that's that's where I think they have to figure this piece out. The manufacturers have had to figure it out is it's gonna be a man yeah, you're right. Is is how how do I make that uh, palatable for me to buy a battery? So to replace or to buy yeah. Even if you were in an accident. Mm -hmm. Um as as the listener said. So And that's the whole thing of insurance, you know, will insurance yeah. cover that, blah blah. Uh, well, hey, evolving, evolving thing, but I'm glad that a lot of our listeners are enjoying their EVs and uh, really, and we, you and I loved the ones we test drove. I was just like, could this be the car every day? Yeah. So uh, if you're new to the show, uh, we do a little catch up as we've just done. We have a segment called Caught Our Eye and we visit with our partner, Deep Discount, take a quick break. We check in with Tim and the business birthday, the only show in the universe that does that. 
And we're wrapping up with a shop talk today on older gays telling younger gays how it used to be in the dating world back before the apps. So without further ado, Mr. Bennett, what caught your eye? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. There are a number of things that I had found, although this one I, I scratched my head over. So the headline is San Francisco's $700 a month sleeping pods face a crackdown from city inspectors, report says. So the um so there's a there's a facility that used to be a a brownstone it's called brownstone shared housing and this is uh in San Francisco downtown San Francisco and people are delighted that they're able to get these $700 a month pods they're sleeping pods they're um they're stacked if you're watching the video John will show the picture but they're stacked very much like IKEA beds and um, is what they call them, Ikea style. So there's nothing that's actually attached to the building. So this is where the fight is. The city says you have illegal living quarters. The um, people at Brownstone say not so, not really, because we're not attached to anything, which is what the um, planning commissioner, what the building inspector would say in terms of zoning. So it's, it's a little bit of a, a fine line there. But the permit, um, they have 28, so Brownstone shared housing uh, filed a permit for this 28 bunk style um, housing pods for uh, for people in the city. They're four feet by 3.5 feet, about the size of a twin bed. Oh my god! And what's happened is people are renting these for 700 dollars, and then there's a shared space. So there's a shared living, living area, living yeah. room, and they all share a bathroom. And so the, the, um, these have been very successful. The company says it rents the pods out to tech startup founders and other industry workers who cannot afford the rental prices in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is the most expensive real estate in the country, they said. The Mint Plaza location in Soma, for instance, where you would want to live in San Francisco, you would have to, at a minimum, shell out $3,400 a month for a one-bedroom in that neighborhood, which is just a okay okay place. So they talked to this guy that um, is excited that's rented one of these $700 a month pods. And uh, his name was, um, I think his name was Christian. But anyway, he was excited by the fact because he said otherwise he had held off on moving from Illinois to the Bay Area. He's starting um, working for an AI company, artificial intelligence company. And he said that um, he was going to either have to figure out some other sort of living quarters, but this pod for $700 a month showed up and he said it was a godsend. It allowed him to move to California and start his uh, high-tech business and uh, not break the bank. So he's very excited about it and hopes that they stay around and stay in business. He said, even though it's the size of a twin bed and not very large, it gets the job done. Really, all you just need is a place to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm. So they asked him how it's been living in this kind of communal atmosphere because essentially you're sleeping in this closet right and then you mix in with the with people with people he said just in the first couple of days i met some of the smartest people i've met in my entire life this is one of the reasons i've come to san francisco and why i'm living and staying the way i am they do a sidebar and he says this is why i'm living in a pod he says a recent report by zillow however found that rents are starting to fall in san francisco because the city's been beset by rising crime and an exodus of companies I don't know. When he says he met some of the smartest people he's ever met, I'm not so sure you're so smart. <laughs> You've read my mind. I'm like, okay, 
when did this occur? Like when he's in one of the stalls, hey, could you toss me a roll of clean toilet paper? I mean, be, this is the whole thing about this communal living, right? It's shaving, showering, going to the bathroom. You're in the in the living room. I guess everybody's on headphones and watching their laptops as if they were TVs. I mean, right. it's just... It's like a hotel, but no, no, Japanese has these a, little a pod hostel. things. It's like a hostel. Yeah, right? and, and Japan, you're exactly right, John. That's exactly what it's like. Except the hostel, you might have a bunk bed. I have one, you know, these obviously aren't private. I was trying to figure out how they closed. I couldn't actually see in the pictures. Could you, is it just a curtain? Uh, or is it a door like you would have on either. a train and a little, you know, you'd be in a little compartment like a on a train? Car. Sleeper car. Yeah. So I was trying to figure this out, but I thought, man, you know, people's sleeping habits are nasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Snoring, burping, farting. So you have to get up and use the bathroom at night. Who knows what's going on in this place? I'd yeah. be curious to take a look. Let's see what's going on tonight. But imagine spending 700 just for that. You, you read my mind because then I thought, okay, so where are you eating? If, you're, if there's no kitchen and you're not buying your groceries and you're eating out, you know you're not saving money there, right? No. If, you're, if everything you do is takeout, you're, you're not saving money. So let's say you had, I don't know, four or 500 buck a month. Is that even reasonable? Is that, is that food too low, too high for groceries or for food? Well, you'd have to guess in San Francisco, a minimum breakfast, say you only do two meals. Yeah, but minimum would be 10 for a breakfast, right? If you grabbed a bagel and a coffee or a juice or tea or something. Mm -hmm. But lunch or something, it's got to be 30 bucks for lunch. You know, New York City, you and I could not go out, two of us for lunch for under $60. And we didn't didn't drink. We weren't extravagant. We'd get a salad. Or our right? extravagance was the brownie at uh, the brownie. I love that brownie. The, yeah, the Croton, Croton on the Hudson, the Croton, the Croton Reservoir. That's yeah. still. I was telling Richard that the other night. That is still. We were at a restaurant that had a brownie Sunday like that. It was the brownie with the whipped cream and the walnuts. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good Sunday. That was a good. The waiter dessert. knew us, and he got socks out of the deal too. So. <laughs> that was a good dessert. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So, yeah. So this one, I, yeah, I'm guess. Hey, look, I guess it's still coming in under thirty four hundred. But um, there you go. Well, if you would move to, I know in, in New York City, one of the issues was with a lot of people when we were getting out of college, people would share maybe a one bedroom, right? Yeah. If you were in a really yeah. nice area, non-rent controlled or something, you'd share one bedroom and instead of having the quote unquote living room, maybe you put a bed in there or you just both put your beds in the one bedroom, right? In order to live yeah. in Manhattan. But you've always, you always had your own bedroom and stuff you never had to go that no no even with roommates we always had our own rooms i mean greg like when i lived with greg he would never have tolerated the idea of like, sleeping together curtain. it's your, yeah. it's your magical bedroom <laughs> so you were able to figure it out and that, that's yeah. that's what i was wondering about san francisco and i've met some of the smartest people i've ever met really well we're living in these here's, pods here's ec- economics history when we moved when i moved to the city when i graduated college greg and i had a two-bedroom apartment in a brownstone building with a fireplace and a galley kitchen, I think the rent was six thirty-eight a month. Oh my God! What was that? Eighteen ten? Six thirty-eight a month? Yeah, it was certainly last century. Oh it was a rent stabilized apartment. We knew the, the the super and the landlord. So God, you should have kept um, it. You'd still be in it. It'd probably be a thousand now. It wasn't a bad place. <laughs> it wasn't a bad place. Yeah, it was a little small, but hey, we had a big living space. Uh, it was cool. You were paying less than I was in Philly. 300 mm-hmm. and something. Think about that. That's so ideal. then you could go out and you could go to the bars, you could see friends, go to movies. I mean, this is what you did, right? Yeah. Besides that, what did you do? What do you do for fun? You do for anyway. fun. Movies, friends. So yeah. what caught my eye was how, what I left, led the show off with. And um, 
you know, leave it to people to get all up in arms about something as ridiculous as this. Pole dancing skeleton causes uproar <laughs> in Utah town. So, <laughs> residents of Grantsville, what a Utah, great picture. yeah, are buzzing over another local's hilarious <laughs> Halloween display. According to an Instagram post shared by local news outlet, The Ogdenite, there's a city officials of the Utah town were not happy with one resident's cheeky skeleton set up outside of their home. So, this guy set up a bunch of skeletons. One of them is pole dancing. They're skeletons, right? And it's a funny scene, but the town is not happy. Uh, the city addressed their message above the, the, the city addressed their message to the person responsible for this display. You have until 9 p.m. tonight, October 18th, to take down your decorations or they will be removed by the cities. Oh. Displays like this are not acceptable as it is against city code to attach anything to a street sign. Oh, there's the ripple, right? So uh, while the city officials may not have been amused, users in the comments section could not get enough of this comical decoration. So people would like, you know, the laughing emoji. One person actually said, you know, would it make a difference if you put a bathing suit on the uh, pole dancing? (laughs) (laughs) Only in Utah, right? Like it's just a bunch of skeletons. So is that somebody's, so that is an actual street sign then? See, I thought that was. Yes, apparently the pole that the skeleton is dancing on is in fact at a corner. It's a street sign. So this guy set up, if you're not watching on our video, this guy took like three, you know, these folding camp type chairs and right. in the chairs he put, or there's two of them, he put these two skeletons that are facing kind of up looking at the pole dancer. The skeleton that's pole dancing is upside down. There's like a tutu <laughs> or some lacy thing around its waist covering it. It's totally hilarious and just kind of like, I would. You know what else I that. noticed here is they, they were very creative there. They should spend a little time on their lawn if that's their lawn. You saw the dirt. The dirt. dirt. It's just a dirt. That's Utah. <laughs> Tim, this reminds me of Lurid Diggs. Yeah. You and I are looking at everything but the skeletons, right? right? You're looking at the house. The <laughs> who would you, who would have that rug? <laughs> Tim once turned me on to a site called LuridDiggs.com. I don't even think it's up anymore. No, maybe sadly, it was this. These decorators, these guys, would take picture profile pictures from gay um, dating sites, and they would critique. The background. The home decor. You'd have some guy in a harness, and behind him was a bed with a flower, um, you know, duvet, and teddy bear. And picture a grandma on the nightstand or something. On the nightstand, yeah. And so it was such a hilarious, uh, and Tim, it's so you to have found this. When Bob and I, when you told us about it, we went crazy over Lurid Yeah, it was a great great site. We should bring that back. Tim's pulling a Lurid Diggs. If you're watching on video, he's, basically, there's no lawn in front of this house. It's just dirt. It's just dirt. (laughs) And then there's the skeletons pole dancing. There was a similar thing. There was a kid. I was going to do it on our on our um, on TFG unbuttoned on our Tuesday podcast. There was a kid that was kicked out of a football game last weekend for wearing a penis costume. It was in Tech Sam Houston college football game. You know, like the kids that would wear the blow up like dinosaur or whatever, and the yes, head would move. I've seen. So these. this kid was in a huge penis, and uh, he got kicked out of the football game because it wasn't appropriate for his. Halloween costume, but the crowd was going wild and quite. And they loved it. Oh, it was hilarious. It was one of these huge things and it was bopping around. They had the two big balls in the front. To, to wrap up the, the pole dancing skeleton, the owner of the display did remove it from the, he set it up on his lawn further in and he didn't use the city street sign. So apparently he passed muster. And if you live in that part of, you could have seen the pole dancing thing. The, um, the penis costume, I've only seen that once before. 
And I can't remember where. It's like when people dress as a T-Rex, right? Yep. It's the, yep. yeah, the same exact thing. thing. So this was a giant, a giant penis. And he, he took it to the foot. He wore it at the football game because everybody was to dress in costume. And he was kicked out. He was quickly ejected, they said. I, I don't know why people don't get like five stars for originality <laughs> for that one, right? I mean. <laughs> the headline, he was quickly ejected. He got too cocky, said one. <laughs> Headless body, topless bar. Right. He got yeah. too cocky. He's too cocky. So, yeah. All right, folks. As many of you know, Deep Discount is a partner of ours here on the Focus Group, and we invite you to visit their site by going to rsfocusgroupradio.com and clicking on the Deep Discount logo. It's going to take you into a world of movies, TV, books, games, figurines, you name it, they've got it. And uh, when we go there, Tim and I go down the media rabbit hole for sure. And we are really pleased because uh, November is beginning of, of the site-wide sale, winter site-wide sale. So that means we have free range to go wherever we like on the Deep Discount site and to find our favorite titles. So what did you pick, Mr. Bennett? So I've mentioned this movie before. Actually, there was a sale we had celebrated at Deep Discount called In the uh, Location is in the Name, or the name yes. is. And this movie was not there. I looked for it specifically. And it's called Nebraska. So I figured it would have been, it would have been part of that. So they either missed it or it didn't qualify. But it's a, it's a movie I talked about before, and I, 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 um, I did find that it's, uh, it is currently, of course, on, on sale at Deep Discount on DVD for uh, under $13. And it says uh, Academy Award winner Alex, uh, Alexander Payne, who's also the director of Sideways, which is another movie that I really like. That was the wine movie with Paul Giamatti, right? Yeah. Love yep. that movie, yeah. Yes. So they said that critics had called this an American masterpiece. It's, uh, it involves a father who's by, by, uh, played by Bruce Stern and his adult son who embark on a journey to claim a million-dollar prize, which... Um, they thought it was going to be a fool's errand, but it ended up being a, what they call a road trip to redemption. It says it's one of those movies you'll watch over and over again. And so I always like adding those sort of movies to my collection because they're things you won't get tired of. The other thing about this movie, shocking to me, is I never see it replayed anywhere. You know, sometimes... Ah, good point. Good. Sometimes like there's movies... Or, yeah, yeah. And so, or sometimes on, on some of the pay channels, you might wander through and find something. You know, I like fried green tomatoes. I usually stop and watch that, or I'm sure you with a lot of your sci-fi things even though you could probably in your in your uh -huh. sleep <laughs> recite it you'll say you'll watch it you know because you you it's just... this movie also though um the premise of the movie also hit close to home for you as well because it doesn't the main character in this movie think he's won the lottery and it yeah well no he thinks he won dad. the publisher's clearinghouse giveaway. that's and didn't your dad think he won oh my dad was convinced it was it was during uh <laughs> i remember it was during a super bowl one you keep looking out the window because they kept saying the van. The van's on its way. The van's coming. You know, there was these commercials, you know, Publishers Clearinghouse. Someone has won. <laughs> and then I find out from my mom that he actually had been filling this thing. I didn't buy any magazine, but he was filling out the thing and they kept saying, you're, you're close, you're close, you're win, you're down to the one of the top 25, whatever the number was. It was all absurd, of course. And that's what happens in this movie, that he's convinced he, was, he should have won. <laughs> and so he tells his son, he's going to go out to the, to the headquarters, the publisher clearinghouse headquarters or whatever they called it in the movie, and, uh, which happens to be in, in Nebraska. So they start yeah. this trip cross country, the son and the dad. And, um, and the movie's shot in black and white, right? Yeah, it's all black and white. Wh which I think adds another whole dimension to it, like an authenticity, almost like a newsreel kind yeah. of but I, you know, I, I remember trying to explain to my dad that, you know, he was convinced, um, you know, because they told him he had won. 
it says you're a winner. You know, you open it up and he had all the stuff there and all you have to do is do this and send it back. And then they tell you again, you were, you made the next level. Um, I don't think those things happen anymore. I don't, I don't, or I don't, I don't Clearinghouse see. still does its thing, but yeah. Maybe it's I, online now. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, my mom, you know, she, whenever I visit her, she loves the mail and she still gets that stuff in the mail. Does she open that stuff or just throw it no, away? No, she puts it aside. She's like, honey, nobody wins. And she just puts it, <laughs> she puts it aside. She goes, honey, nobody wins. They're like, yeah, mom, I know. Although your mom, if you remember as a sidebar, one time you and I were pulling a prank in town and your mother said, nobody will ever print that. We did a letter to the editor, remember? Local paper. And your yeah. mother's laughing. She goes, ah, nobody's going to read that. It was so absurd what you and I wrote. And she said, nobody's going to print that. And sure enough, it was in next week. <laughs> She was shocked, and she loved it. She loved it. <laughs> All right. I picked, uh, for me, I picked um, a movie that many have seen, but I think it's worth rewatching. It's almost 20 years old if it's not it's celebrating its 20th anniversary now. And it's The Nightmare Before Christmas, oh, which gosh. is, um, you know, the stop-motion movie by, uh, uh, it's released by Disney, but this is Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. You know, when it came out, if you if you actually Google some of the reviews when it came out almost twenty years ago, it was it was um, it was a, a movie that was respected for the craftsmanship and they thought it was an original and clever story, but it wasn't like a, a favorite. It's grown over the years to become this kind of Halloween, cult, kind of a cult, cult classic. classic movie. And now you yeah. go by people's houses and there's Jack Skellingtons, and you know I watched it recently on a restored uh, copy on Blu-ray. It sparkled. It was beautiful. And the artistry of stop motion puppetry to me is always something I've loved. Both Tim and I grew up with Davy and Goliath, Gumby and Pokey, and these are all stop motion things, right? So, well, like, and even my nieces grew up with Wallace and Gromit. So I, I'm, I'm attracted to the art form, but I also think the story and the idea is hilarious of Jack Skellington falling into Christmas land and what happens when you mash up Christmas and Halloween. So I recommend The Nightmare Before Christmas. And our new release this week is uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. You know, I feel like FOMO, like fear of missing out. Like a lot of folks I know tell me that I'm, I'm missing out on the Mission Impossible movies and that they're really well done and the action sequences are great. So I need to hop on the Mission Impossible bandwagon. But this is the latest and it got great reviews. And Tom Cruise did, in fact, do most of his own stunts in the movie, which is amazing. Yeah, people do talk about these too. Mm -hmm. they, they do as, as much as um, Tom Cruise may have been been maligned in the press over the years uh, for his Scientology beliefs. They do they do give him lots of credit for these Mission Impossible franchises, and I've not yeah. seen any of them. I must admit, I don't. Neither know have I. And and yeah. I and friends will say, "Are you crazy? They're on all the time, whatever." So I need to start from the first of his movies and move through the Mission Impossible. Uh, catalog and see what they're like. Because as a kid, I loved the original TV show with Leonard Nimoy, the whole bunch. Yeah. This is different, obviously, but uh, I think it's well worth seeing. So that's the new release this week on sale for uh, $29.99, 4K and Ultra HD uh, copy. So head over to focusgroupradio.com, click on the Deep Discount logo, start shopping away. You'll be able to uh, own your passion over there. I picked this week a movie that uh, I loved called Nebraska which also reminded me of my dad. The uh, John picked The Nightmare Before Christmas, which, um, you know, that's our friend Matt's, one of his favorite, favorite oh, movies, okay, too. Okay. And the uh, new release this week is Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, with, of course, starring Tom Cruise. So we need to, uh, we need to watch those, Mr. Nash. We hope um, all of you support them by going to focusgroupradio.com and supporting Deep Discount by clicking on their logo. Start shopping away. It's a perfect time 
during their site-wide sale to start shopping for the holidays and add to your collection or to somebody else's. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a business birthday and a little shop talk, so stay with us. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now back to the focus group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere. Welcome back to the focus group. John Nash with Mr. Tim Bennett. Focusgroupradio.com is our site. You'll learn all about us there, including our partners, Deep Discount, which we just had a fun segment with. And uh, there you go. That's all you need to know. Oh, you also learn about TFGM Button. But if you are already following us, that's probably popping up in your podcast feed of choice. So without further ado, the only show in the universe that does this, our business birthday. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. It's already November 1st. Can you believe it? Mm. So uh, celebrating today, born in 1863. Uh, November 1st, 1863 is George Safford Parker. Did you know George? I know his products well, um, and I love this business birthday, so continue. (laughs) So George was an American inventor and industrialist, but in reality really was the founder and the inventor of the Parker Pen Company, and also uh, was one of the first to get a patent on a fountain pen. So uh, as we said, he was born November 1st, 1863 in Schulzburg, Wisconsin, and uh, he worked uh, for many years in Janesville, Wisconsin. Um, for telegraphy, and and so he would send messages or whatever. This is pre, you know, Morse code or anything. So you're the telegraph operator. Yeah. Okay. And uh, but he had a sideline sideline business repairing and selling fountain pens. So there was an issue with fountain pens of constantly uh, leaking ink or or getting dry, and they were unreliable. So he would work and work and work on these fountain pens, fix them up, particularly for kids in school. And then get them, uh, get them back to them. And he thought, well, I should go into business doing this. So in, 19, in I'm sorry, 1888, he founded the Parker Pen Company. And uh, the following year, in 1889, he received his first fountain pen patent. In 1894, he also received a patent for something called the Lucky Curve fountain pen. And it actually had a feed in it, which would draw excess ink back into the pen barrel when it was not in use, so that way it wouldn't leak or it wouldn't blot or smudge. It said it was the first company's, it was the first successful pen launch. Um, first company in 1899 was called the Parker Jointless. And um, so this lucky curve technology he did was found in many of his pens in various forms. They said up through 18 or 1928. Factory was in Janesville, Wisconsin. And at the time in 1908, when he built the factory, it was the largest pen manufacturing facility in the world. And uh, Parker became uh, one of the world's premier pen brands and one of the first brands with a global presence. They said from 1920s to 1960s, before the development of the ballpoint pen, Parker was either number one or number two worldwide in instrument sales. He also invented something called Quink, which was quick drying ink, which also eliminated. <laughs> The name for or the uh, the need for blotting. He also developed the most widely used uh, fountain pen model in history in 1941, called the Parker 51, which sold over 400 million dollars worth of sales in his 30 year history. 
that's an awful lot of pens. He had manufacturing, grew it to have manufacturing facilities in Canada, the UK, Denmark, France, Mexico, Pakistan, India, Germany, Brazil, and Argentina. And uh, so throughout the, the Parker Pen uh, history, which is still in existence today, they had all kinds of um, different uh, ingenious ways of, of creating pens and different pens and smaller pens and using plastics and nylons, all kinds of things. The company was eventually sold to Gillette, which I was surprised about. And uh, they ended up selling it to Newell Rubbermaid. And they moved the headquarters out of the U.S. to England. So mm. it's currently in England right now. But also part of the conglomerate that has uh, liquid paper and paper mate and uh, uh, Sharpies and so forth. Uh, he died in the hospital, it said, after a, a short illness at 73 years old. In his obituary, it said, Mr. Parker was the leading manufacturer of pens, pencils, and ink in this country. And from time to time would also experiment with other forms of fountain pens. He was instrumental with also introducing varying colors of ink and was the first to make red ink popular in a fountain pen. He introduced that in 1949, so we could thank him for red ink, which I'm actually using today. I got a red All right, pen. so when you were, you know, Parker was like, Parker was like the gold standard in yep. pens. And I remember once I was given a, Pencil, pen and pencil set by um, Cross, was it? Mm -hmm. Cross pen and pencil. But then I also received a Parker pen that same year, and it was clear from the weight of it, and, and I, it was just my, one of my favorite writing instruments. So I think this is really cool, and I, I, I never knew the story behind this. So, you know, yeah, they also, yeah, the, yeah, they also have, um, they had something called, the, there's also still a line of pens called the U.S. Presidential Parkers. It was the favorite pen of President Kennedy. Really? And they said he used it for signing legislation. He also gave them a lot as gifts. They said presidents from Kennedy to Clinton used Parker pens for most of these purposes whenever they would sign legislation. You know, you see them make a small little line mm -hmm. or something. So they said, for instance, um, Lyndon Johnson gave over 60,000 Parker pens away. <laughs> 60,000? For people who visit the, the White House and so forth. And they said he would use up to 75 pens to sign each document and bill. So he would just do a stroke, put down the pen, do a stroke. Uh, so Lyndon Johnson was a huge fan. Kennedy Clinton as well. There's actually a Bill Clinton Parker insignia set that you can still wow. find. Um, and this makes me want to go out and buy a Parker pen. <laughs> they said now, though, however, after Parker ceased to be an American-owned company, of course, later presidents had to switch. And now they use, what you mentioned earlier, AT cross pens, which are still mm -hmm. made in the U.S. So no longer the Parker pens. But uh, after Clinton and the company moved to England, they. Uh, they were in England and France, but uh, in England currently, that uh, they've switched over to cross pens now for signing documents. So. Wow. Excellent business birthday. I, and this is, uh, for me, especially because I love writing implements, it's just great to know, you know how this came about. And it was this guy, right? It's very cool. Very well, built cool. a better mousetrap, right? So he Built a better mousetrap. Yeah, he, yeah. he fixed, the, uh, fixed the issues that people had uh, struggled with with pens. You don't think of anything that simple, I guess, to just fix, but. I don't know. We got to come up with something, Nash. Although you just found out from your personality test, you're not such an inventor. I'm not an inventor. I'm an organ. I'm an orchestrator. Which doesn't make sense to me, though, because you're smart in ideas and strategies. So why couldn't you invent something? I, th I find that in conflict. May ask that well, in, your, in your session today. Yeah, yeah, I will bring it up. And yeah, yeah. and you know, <laughs> you and I both know that these tests are, you know, they're just tests, right? Yeah. 
All right. So uh, Shop Talk today is a uh, article we found on Queerty, queerty.com. And uh, the headline reads, Older gays tell youngins, youngins what dating and hooking up was like before the apps took over. Tim and I thought this was more of an opportunity to talk about um, some of the changes that apps and phones and social media have wrought, particularly dating and hooking up in the gay community is a, a big one. And the article was fun. It was somewhat predictable in that many people um, in our generation would say that it was probably better to do things in person. It was bars and clubs. You might have joined a gay volleyball league or something like that to meet people. Now, of course, you get ghosted. And, and, and back in the day, like ghosting wasn't really a thing. Like someone might not show up for a date and that was rare. Right. Um, but, you know, you met somebody at a bar and, you know, you, you, you struck a conversation. Maybe you went home with them. Maybe you didn't. Who knows? But, you know, a lot of people struck up great friendships just out on the town looking for love, right? Well, I loved I thought the best line in the whole thing was you had to meet out doing things. Yeah. So you had to get out of the house and do things, right? You had to get out and meet out doing things. So as you said, whether you joined a maybe an athletic league or you joined a choir or you you were in a work did volunteer work at a nonprofit or met somebody through your church or whatever, you would meet people by going out and doing things. And then it says, now you can get it all done at eleven AM at work <laughs> with the apps. And the other thing they said is uh this one guy talks about how he remembered being in P Town when Grinder had just been released, and he said it was really when conversation died in yeah. groups. He said because all of a sudden everybody was on phones trying to um, you know, meet the latest and greatest or the next best thing. And I thought immediately to you and I, Las Vegas had hired us oh God, probably 10, 10 years ago. Yeah, oh, more than that, yeah. Had, had hired John and I to uh, do some LGBTQ um, advertising for them and also use the show um, to let people know a lot of the goings-ons in, in Las Vegas, particularly the Luxor hotels and uh, some of the other convention um, places in the city. And they would put an itinerary together for John and I, and they sent us to what was to be the newest, latest, and greatest gay bar, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And, and you and yeah. I had gone in there all excited. because You and I hadn't been out certainly anywhere after 9 o'clock. And it's uh, <laughs> so long you and I go in there. And we're shocked that everybody was walking around looking. At, I don't know you think you and I brought our phones. Like zombies. They were glued to their screens. And everyone yeah. was just walking around looking at phones. And I was like, what is going on? You're like, Nobody's talking. No. And they were all looking on their phones, I guess, trying to track somebody down. It was the weirdest thing to me. But I've also seen this um, and on the bigger picture happen. I was at an alumni event. And I think I mentioned this to you. It could be considered a networking thing. But same sort of thing. All of us younger or all of us older alums were standing around with a cocktail chatting. And anyone born or went to school or graduated after, say, 2005 or six, were in the corner on their phones, just looking at their phones. And someone, one of the women, I remember one of the women looked at me and goes, they have no idea what they're missing. These kids could be over here getting a job or, you know, networking. trying to networking. Yeah. yeah. It was I, the oddest uh, thing. I appreciated the article, and you you nailed all my favorite points, particularly the guy that was in P-Town when, when Grindr hit, we called it critical mass, and suddenly that was the weekend that conversation died and everybody's glued to their phones. Um, random was the name of the game, right? And you could meet anybody. And it, it didn't always have to lead to a hookup or a date or something. It could just be that you were talking, you, you had the courage to walk to someone in the bar. In the article, uh, one guy talked about working in a mall 
right. uh, when he was younger, and and he met most of his pe- the people he knew through the mall. And uh, or one guy says, you know, if you're out in real life and you're in a grocery store in San Francisco near the Castro, you could assume a lot of the people in the produce <laughs> section or in the whole store are gay. It just took you the courage to walk up and actually say something or introduce yourself. And and those are, I think, really critical things, right? Um, so how to socialize, right. how to how to break the ice. So it goes even beyond this dating and hooking up thing. But yeah, well, it's, you, a, it's the randomness of it, as you mentioned. When you were growing up in Manhattan, and you had, if you all, you and your friends just decided we're gonna, what's the place you used to like? Was it Uncle Caliente? Charlie's. No, Caliente Cab Company or something, wasn't it? A, a oh oh oh, you're Mexican talking about restaurant? Oh, um, uh, Bandidos. But you would all say you're going there. Yeah. And that was that. So you might have decided that on Tuesday. And so Friday evening, you all showed up there. And there was a randomness of you going out to get there. You might have bumped into somebody else. You might have saw someone along the way. Oh, come meet us. Yeah, we're meeting friends for dinner. Come along. Um, It's the same thing I was talking to people with college kids now. You used to wander downtown to go get a beer or or to see what's going on. And again, it was the same thing. Meet us downtown at 10 o'clock. Now they send one kid out. They say it's beat because everybody's back in their rooms, texting back, nobody's out. You know, so you stay in your room. And uh, so they're trying to get kids out socializing, even on college campuses. Aside from the LGBTQ um, thing, it's just difficult. The social media has really made people unsocial. <laughs> Which is so, it's so funny to have that as the, the moniker for that, for social media. Right? And you're social right Social media has the- made everybody unsocial. I remember uh, in the early days, and to your point about, you know, this idea of just going out and meeting because that's the plan and you had to deal with answering machines and all this stuff to change the plan. We would show up at bars that were dead boring and then someone would go to the jukebox and say, hey, folks, like, and they would put up, they would put a bunch of music in and then suddenly, suddenly it's a party, right? And people that would come in, start laughing and know you're not the only ones there and the bartender was cool. It's like the bartender out in Vegas, the bar you mentioned, when you and I went up to get drinks and we were like, hey, what is, he goes, oh, this is the way it is. Guy was the super handsome bartender. No one's paying attention to him, right? Because he's just serving the drink to yeah, someone. Yeah, so they're all looking to see who's, out, who's, who's coming or who mm-hmm. might be at the next, who might be outside mm-hmm. or who might be somewhere else rather than looking at what's, people were bumping into each other, I remember, because they, <laughs> they had their faces on the phone. It was so weird. You, it was the first thing we commented on was like, this is not the way it should be. I remember going to Uncle Charlie's with my friend Steve, and we would watch Dynasty. It was like Wednesday night, Dynasty night. And, you know, you would run into artists and bankers. All types of people would show up at Charlie's. You know, they're gay. And everybody would laugh when Crystal and Alexis would have one of their fights, and they'd end up in a water, the fountain, or the pool, and we'd all (laughs) screaming. And then you'd look at someone, and you'd strike up a conversation, right? Like, isn't this hysterical? Hey, what do you do? What do I do? Where do you live? You know, where do you... I can't see how that happens on social media. Maybe I'm just a, a Luddite or a dinosaur, but. Well, it's the same thing. You take it a step further. It's the same thing that's happened with the pandemic with Zoom meetings. Yes. You, you, you log into Zoom and you have your meeting and you move on. Whereas if you're actually in a, in a room with somebody or walking to the meeting or bumping into somebody in the elevator, you might say, how was your weekend? Or, you know, oh gosh, we went to a new restaurant in town. It was fantastic. Or. Oh, what is it? Oh, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it was this sort of, oh, I love Thai food. Where is it? Oh, we're going to go again this week. Would you like to, you know, why don't you meet us yeah. there? Blah, blah, blah. All that randomness, as you mentioned, just doesn't seem to happen anymore, which I think is, uh, is too bad, but I guess that's the way it is. And that's, that's, that's really the gist of the story is the randomness and the, 
work that you had to do to actually go out and be visible and be engaged and uh, and socialize just doesn't happen anymore. Because you can get no. it done at 11 o'clock at your desk, as he said. <laughs> tap, 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 tap. tap, tap, tap. I got my booty call at 6 to 9 when I get home from the office. <laughs> yeah. Right. Maybe people are saving money. Because <laughs> you don't have to Maybe go out, living. right? Maybe this is the crew that lives in the $700 a, a, a month capsule, you know. The the pot, the pot the in pod, San the Fran. The in San Fran, yeah. yeah. So, well, that was, a, that was a good article. I'm glad you pulled, pulled that up. Thanks for, uh, as we are heading toward, my goodness, John, the, uh, we're in November already, which is shocking to me. Uh, thanks, all of you, for uh, listening to us here, as always, in our 15th year, I like to say, Mr. Nash. And At that's the number 15. you're settled on, right? Yeah, for now. <laughs> Could be 16. Somebody a little spikes yeah, age. Somebody don't was you talking. love Tim? Yeah, for now. Well, I think 2008 is when we started, mm-hmm. March 2008. Is, yeah. So is that 15? I think so. My, you and I have never been good at math. <laughs> Grammar either, but. <laughs> yeah. So, so thanks, for, uh, thanks for joining us, and thanks to our friends at Deep Discount. Uh, it is a site-wide sale going on at Deep Discount. John had picked the movie The Nightmare Before Christmas. I had picked the movie Nebraska. And the new release this week is Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1 starring tom cruise so be sure to head over to deep discount start shopping away and uh getting a jump start on your holiday holiday shopping be sure while you're at focus group also to pay attention to our other media which is our podcast tfgn button which is released on tuesdays so you'll find all of it there at uh, at our website and remember don't text and drive arrive alive crazies so that's it have a good week It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.